everybody. This is Adam Hergenrother. Welcome to Business Meets Spirituality. We believe in personal growth through business success, and we're excited to unpack that today. I am joined by my chief of staff, Hallie Warner. Good morning, Hallie. Good morning. Today, we're excited. We have a wonderful, wonderful guest, uh, Alex Judd, which I'm going to introduce in a second. But we're excited to jump into our conversation because Alex is an individual who really um, embodies the personal growth through business success. Um, and I'm excited to have this conversation and kind of pack what, what self-leadership really kind of means to him. Um, before we do, if you don't know Alex, um, Alex Judd founded the path for growth out of the belief that everyone wins when a leader decides to intentionally grow every single day. I just love how that kind of, I know it's an intro, but like, I just love the, the words there because that is the only way to lead anybody, you have to have self-leadership. So I love the fact that you led in with that about just growing every single day. And it is intentional. I want you to unpack that in a second. You know, through teaching, intensives, and coaching, the Path for Growth team empowers impact-driven leaders to define vision and take meaningful action. Prior to starting Path for Growth, Alex served as the host of Dave Ramsey's National Recognized Entree Leadership Podcast. Outside of work, Alec loves endurance sports, which we're going to talk about, especially triathlons, right? <laughs> he has finished 22 marathons, 21 uh, and two Ironman triathletes, uh, triathlons. More than anything, which I love, Alex loves people. He is stubbornly committed to seeing as many people as possible engage in a healthy, life-giving, sustainable path for growth. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Oh, gosh, I've been looking forward to this. Thank you, Hallie. Thank you, Adam, for having me on. This is going to be an absolute blast. Yeah, I'm, I'm pumped. So let's start the conversation around salsa. <laughs> you know, um, we could just have the entire conversation about salsa if you'd like to. That would be fun. <laughs> we, we could. You would definitely um, have to be the one running the conversation because I just know what tastes good and what doesn't. But um, we, you and I met, um, we were hosting an event and, and you happened to, um, you were coaching or friends with one of the individuals that were there. And they said, hey, Alex is, is in town and we're having this salsa com contest that we actually had planned for our event. And they're like, Alex happens to actually be like a professional um, connoisseur of salsa and judge. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What are the odds of that? So you end up coming down and judging all of our salsa at the event. And that's where we kind of got to know each other. I think though that night that you may have made a mistake because somehow our salsa did not win. So I'm just trying <laughs> to figure that out still what happened there. So how did you get into salsa? Well, that, that's right. That's a total amateur move that someone invites you to come do something at their event and then you don't give them the trophy. <laughs> like, come on, man, what are you thinking? Uh, oh gosh, how did I get into salsa? I, so I grew up in Texas. I grew up in Houston, Texas. Uh, so I always say I'm from out of the country. I'm from the Republic of Texas. Uh, but I, I don't know why. Like, I just grew up eating Mexican food and I loved Mexican food, right? Like, that was my go-to. As a kid, like, literally a bean and cheese burrito is what I would have every single day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then in college, I went to school in Austin. And I, I swear, breakfast tacos are the state food in Austin, right? Or in, in, <laughs> yeah. in the state of Texas. Taco like, shops on the side. Oh, my my gosh, it's just unbelievable. And it just shocked me after I left Texas that, that that didn't exist everywhere. But the way that I was able to get that fix was I just started buying chips and salsa every day. And literally every time I go to the grocery store, uh, I mean, honestly, without fail, I always have chips and salsa in my cart. And then there was, there was one day, uh, gosh, it was a handful of months ago, honestly, right as coronavirus and everything was starting where I picked up this killer salsa and I literally just took a 30 second video of it 
and just posted it on my platforms. And I had more engagement with that post than anything personal growth, leadership, motivation I've ever put out. I was like, what on earth? And my, my buddy was like, man, you need to start doing a weekly salsa review. And so I, I tell everyone I have an obsession. I eat chips and salsa every day. Every day I eat chips and salsa. And what I found is that other people have this obsession as well. And so now I travel a lot, but sometimes I come home and I have boxes on my doorstep with salsa that people have sent me. And it's just, it's the greatest gig in the world. I'm convinced, Adam. <laughs> I love it. Why, why do you think, I just unpack something. Why do you think that it is that we've noticed that too, we'll post some real thought out thought leadership type things and you get some people to comment on it, but then I'll post something just kind of airy and fun and something like salsa or just something my kids are doing. And it's got like, you know, hundreds of reviews in like four minutes. And then like the other ones that are like, I, you spend all this time in, like nobody pays attention to it. You have any thoughts on that? I've thought about it a lot, actually, because I'm like, this is ridiculous. I work so hard on this other stuff. And this is the thing. Really? This is the thing. Uh, it's it's something I learned in college, actually. I, I was the drum major of the Longhorn Band in college. So that's the conductor of the band. Band is a 450 person organization. It's called the Show Band of the Southwest. And so, so I would be conducting them in the stands. And I realized I would have this incredible view of all 450 people. But then I'd have all of the other stand students, uh, students, fans, all that that I could see as well. And I realized people would enjoy it more when I made a commitment to looking like I was having fun. And if I was just doing my job, like people would just kind of be about their business. If I looked like I was having an absolute blast, it was crazy how I could literally visually see the stands in front of me light up. And I, I've kind of extrapolated that to this. I think the principle is people love being around people doing what they love. Yeah. And if that's salsa, if that's music, I just, I mean, if you start doing what you love, I think that's a form of leadership because people love being around people doing what they love. Yeah. It's really being authentic, right? Mm, uh, yes, absolutely. And people can see that they're like, Oh, like this isn't meant for anything. There's not an agenda here. They're just literally doing a thing. And if we like, I would be eating salsa every day, whether people were watching or not, right? Like there, there is no question about that. And so I think that word authentic is spot on. Yeah. And I think, you know, and it's also when you feel that authentic, it's not like a intellectual, like, oh, that person's having fun. It's a knowing, right? That's like, wow, like that person's pure. It's like, you can't really describe it with words. You can do your best to kind of use that to kind of orient the the person around you. But it's just, you have this, this intuitive kind of knowing sense that the person's being authentic and that naturally draws people to you. And I think that in, in the same aspect of that for a leadership, right? When you are being an authentic leader, you're not everybody, but that's good because you are drawing the people to you that feel that energy that you're being authentic and pure and they want to share and contribute in that same authentic way inside your organization. I love that we got here from salsa and as, <laughs> as fast as we did, that is amazing. But uh, it's, it's interesting how as a culture, I think because we, we probably better than any generation uh, in human history have a, a BS meter that's really finely tuned because we have to just to survive, right? There's so many marketing messages coming at us and lots of it is really, really horrible. And, and so we've started to really place high value on authenticity and vulnerability 
what's interesting now is we have people that are trying really hard to be authentic, which is almost so counterintuitive because it's like, how do you try really hard to be yourself? Right. And so what's really important for us to understand from a leadership perspective is that authenticity is not a tactic, right? Vulnerability is not a tactic, right? It's being real. And, and the minute you have to really start trying hard to be real, that's a great sign that you're probably not doing it. You just need to be. And that, I mean, that's one of the hardest things you'll ever do, I think. Yeah, it is. It's, it's, so what does it mean to be for you? What is, what is just to be? What does that mean? Unpack that for me. I, I love that because it's, it's just a window into so much into a human being. That's a powerful question. Sounds like a question that my therapist would ask me, Adam. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, one of the exercises that I worked through years ago as I was planning my year, it was probably about three years ago, I was on a plane and it was from Denver to Nashville. And I told myself by the time it was December 31st, so it was New Year's Eve and it was like 10 PM. And I told myself by the time the wheels hit the ground in Nashville, I'm going to have the next year of my life planned out. And I didn't really know what it was going to look like. I didn't know I wasn't following some format or some book or some journal. I was just like, I want to have a plan for the next year of my life. And, uh, I sat there and man, the plane probably hated me because everyone's lights were off and I was sitting there, my light was on and I was drinking coffee and I was just scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And I, and, you know, I thought of that word vision, right. And that word vision is so powerful whenever it comes to this topic of personal growth. And I, I said, okay, well, what's my vision for the next year of my life? And, and I started writing and I just wrote, 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 and then I reflected on what I wrote and what I wrote was all the things that I was going to do. And then I remembered some advice that a mentor had given me just a couple months earlier where he said, Alex, you're not a human doing, you're a human being. And I realized that maybe that's the blocker that I've hit in my growth previously is that I started with what I'm going to do. And so for the first time in my life, and it was, it was a really, really difficult, challenging exercise because it, it wasn't where my mind and my heart naturally went to, but I said, I'm going to stop writing down the things that I'm going to do this year. And I'm going to start writing down the person that I want to be this year. So I'm not going to write down the, the time that I'm going to wake up and, and what I'm going to eat and how, how much I'm going to sweat and, how, and you know the type of workouts I'm going to do and the number of intentional conversations I'm going to have. We'll get there. But I said, what is the person that I want to be? And I started writing words like, I want to be consistent. I want to be faithful. I want to be energetic. I want to be loyal. I want to be known as someone that's selfless and sustainable and life-giving to others. And then out of those words, I started writing, okay, now in order to be consistent, energetic, faithful, life-giving, sustainable, selfless, what am I going to do? What actions would create that person? And I, so I think when you ask the question, what does it mean to be? I, like, I think it means literally you have to reckon with the fact and wrestle to the ground the truth that you have worth as you are, period. It does not come from your actions. It doesn't come from your habits and your routines. Those are the things that you get to do out of a place of having inherent worth and inherent value. And if you can really start to buy into that, not just intellectually, but emotionally, man, I think that is the key to sustainable, healthy, life-giving growth. Yeah, I love that, that kind of visceral, conscious contact with it. Do you think that people get, you know, especially in our, our society, uh, the Western society, that we get so caught up in the doing world that we never really get to truly experience the being world because we're conditioned to think that the doing world is going to bring about some sort of joy or happiness that is already within us? 
Probably. I, I haven't spent much time outside of Western society, but, but what I would say is I can speak from my experience and that is one of the greatest challenges of my life right now, right? Is to shut down and, and doing is a great thing. And I, I believe we were created to do, but it's being able to shut down the lies and the delusions that worth and value inherently come from doing. And if I can block out that clutter and carve out moments of my day where I can be and then step into doing and still be right. And I think that, that that's a dichotomy. Maybe you'd have more in, uh, insight into this than I would, but it's like, if you can do, and in the process of doing still be, uh, then, then I think that's a place of great strength and great power that a lot of times just the way our world is structured, we, we hamstring our ability to do that. Yeah. I mean, I, I love it. You know, one of the things we always kind of um, discuss quite heavily at our, our organizations is that, you know, you first be, then you do. And the thing is, is once you actually are, are being and being people think like surrender or being as some sort of passivity it has nothing to do with passivity actually at all. Um, mm. it, it doesn't mean like lying in some cave forever either. Um, <laughs> it really being just means that you're connected with who you are, who the ones who's experiencing all of the doing. Then what I've always, what I've found in my life is going through this is that once you actually connect to that being place, the doing actually becomes very easy because there's a knowing. It's not about this man-made image that's created of self-identity that you need to continue to do to maintain. That actually is eroded. And what ends up happening is a true sense of authenticity or purpose starts to shine through from the being. Then you just start to partake in the doing. It's like if you look outside and you see the sky, the sky is always pristine. It's always there, right? Everyone uses that as an analogy. And there's a whole bunch of things that arise within the sky, clouds, lightning, hail, birds, planes, you know, humans right? They can fly to those things. Um, any of those things arise in there. It's the same thing, but they're arising because of the sky. And I, I think it's the same way here is the doing arises because your first being, if there was no being, there would be no doing. And so people have got lost in that and thinking that the doing creates the being when it's actually what I hear you're saying, it's just the opposite of when you're first being, it creates the universal pristine consciousness that's always there. Then the doing manifests, manifests itself from the being in itself. Um, and I, I love that. I could say or talk about that. Well, okay. So I have a question for you on that. When you're working with people on that, Adam, or in the journey that you've walked, um, because it's not the norm, right. And so often it's not the way we were raised or it's not the, it's not what the world rewards necessarily, at least in the short term. Um, how do you recondition your mind and your heart to be able to start acting out of that place of, of health? Yeah. You know, the, the, the thing for me is I have a starting position that when people say, how are you doing? I said, great. And, and, and my starting position when I wake up every morning is everything is fine because I'm fine. There's me and there's everything else. When I mean me, I mean the large I. There's you who's back there or me who's back here. And then there's everything else. And there's always this, I always go back to, if I'm angry, like give you an example, I gave this earlier today when I was talking about somebody who's experiencing some spirituality things. We had to walk through this morning. They like this, I was sitting at my table and Sarah, my wife started eating chips and I was, and it started annoying the hell out of me for no reason. Like she's just sitting there having a conversation and I'm getting like so pissed off. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, this is ridiculous. The fact, and then your mind wants to have this secondary explosion, like almost why it's okay for you to be angry and why she is chewing the way she's chewing. Right. So <laughs> instead of actually allowing that to have a secondary and third, fourth explosion of taking me down this spiral, I just said, how do I know that I'm annoyed? 
how do I know that I'm frustrated? Who's the one who actually knows that I'm frustrated? And that in itself creates a separation from the emotion because emotions are going to come and go. Thoughts are going to come and go. But there's one thing that never will ever change. And that's you. That's this pristine consciousness who's, who allows emotions to come and go, what allows thoughts to come and go, mm. which allows feelings to come and go. And that your heart is the, is the enrichment of life. It gives you the texture of life. It allows you to feel extreme, you know, suffering and grief to everything from extreme joy and everything, but without heart, without emotions, the witnesser, the experience of it all wouldn't be able to actually experience the depths of life. And so whenever I get caught in that, which we all do, and you know, maybe save some masters that are out there, but I certainly do. And when I do, I always remind myself that, Hey, how do I know that I'm just annoyed? Cause that in itself, that question really pauses and it creates that sacred pause enough to go. Yeah. You know what? Like, that's not me. And it just, and some, then I still had to actually go walk away. Cause I was mature enough to stay seated <laughs> in there that I actually had to go like walk away for a second. My wife knew what I was doing because I mean, I think a relationship is about coming together to work on yourselves. And so instead of getting something from somebody, I think relationships are designed in business and in life to get something from somebody else. Um, and so she knew what I was doing and let me do my thing and came over 15 minutes later. And I was <laughs> fine, but um, that experience. So walk us through, Alex, your path to um, self-leadership, your, your growth path. Uh, what does that look like, you know, either on a daily basis? And what is that, how, what forms has that taken um, in, in your life so far? Mm. Well, in second grade, I remember this and so does my mom. She was folding laundry. And in second grade, I looked at her and I said, mom, when I grow up, I don't think I want to be a motivational speaker, but I think I would like to be a motivational teacher. <laughs> in second grade and she looked at me yeah. and she was like who are you like go play outside or something like what are you talking about and uh I, I say that just because i think sometimes we think that this whole idea of calling and path is this thing that's divorced from the person that we were and we have this massive breakthrough moment where there's an epiphany that reveals something brand new to us in reality it was always there you've just become a professional at covering it up and now you have to engage in the work of uncovering and so i, I say that literally because it was on my mind in second grade. Now, I couldn't have said it the way that I would say it now, but I started attending to and watching uh, things like Zig Ziglar and, and John Maxwell. And I mean, those guys were my heroes and later like Andy Stanley and Craig Groeschel like some of the best communicators on the planet. And I would just responded to the way that they could communicate in such a way that it moved people towards an action or towards a decision. And I saw the way that it impacted others. And I said, man, I want to engage in that type of work. And so that was always there. I think that path, whenever we think about a path, it always starts with a vision. And the way I think about vision is through the lens of, uh, in, in Proverbs 29, 18, it says, where there is no vision, the people perish. People say the Bible isn't clear. It literally says, if you don't have vision, you're going to die, right? Like, I don't know how you get much more clear. But then there's a translation of that verse written by a theologian named Eugene Peterson, where he says, when people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, then they will be most blessed. And I, I love that because that takes a vision from being this revelation or epiphany about some 10 year distant thing in the future. And it brings it real close to home and says, what's being revealed to you? 
What's on your heart? What's on your mind? Effective communication and leadership are the things that I literally could not get off my mind if I tried. I was thinking about them every single day. And especially as I went through middle school and high school and got into college, And I was afraid to admit it, but it was the thing that I just couldn't shake. And finally, I started to gain the courage, especially in my previous role, to really start to define that vision. And I literally started walking around saying, my vision for my career, the thing that I feel called to do is to communicate, teach, write, lead, and work with people and make a living doing it, right? And so whenever we think about that idea of path, clarity of vision is key because otherwise you will be crushed by the amount of opportunities that are available to you and you will make a thousand different deposits in a thousand different accounts and you'll have nothing to withdraw from. So clarity is key. And then, so you have a clear vision of where you're going. This is what I've learned. And then you have a plan for consistently executing on the things that matter most every single day. And that applies to your business. That applies to your personal life. You need a vision for where you're going, crystal clear, and a plan for consistently executing on the things that matter most every single day. And uh, honestly, I would say that's one of the biggest things that I've learned in the past five years is that it's really that simple. And every, like everything else that I throw out as blockers or barriers or obstacles or it's excuses is all that it is. We can call it whatever we want. It's an excuse. If you say, this is what I feel called to do. And this is my plan for getting there. Then I'm on the hook for it. And that's what I've learned. That's what so often we avoid. We don't avoid the things because we don't know, or, oh, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up, or I don't know what I feel called to. And we sit around and we sit in these circles and we chat about it forever. You know what you're called to do or at least you have an uh, uh, like you have some inkling you're just not taking action right because it terrifies you and uh, like starting this business for me four months ago has just been the greatest evidence in the history of my career that that the world moves for people that have a vision for where they're going but also for people that actually have the courage and the guts and i would even say the faith to take the next step towards that vision yeah that's awesome thank you what do you, if somebody's listening and they're going, I'm an individual who deposits money, thoughts, cognitive space everywhere. So how do I get more clear on where I want to go and how do I define my vision? What would you say to that individual? Yeah, well, I love that idea that self-awareness rarely happens in isolation, right? Like we, we become aware whenever we start working with and talking to other people. So the first thing I would say is get with some people that you really trust and just ask yourself some questions alongside them. What am I doing when I'm at my best? What are the, the needs uh, or problems in the world that I feel most deeply passionate about? When do I see myself being most excited? What is the contribution that I want to make in the world? If I knew failure wasn't an option, what would be the thing that I would do right now? Just ask yourself some of those questions that feel existential. But the thing is, is it's like, those are really important questions. And the day that those questions feel urgent is the day that it's probably a little too late. Right. I mean, you're, you're an endurance athlete, you know, this, I mean, some of the best advice I was given early on, whenever I started running marathons was man, if you're thirsty, it's too late. Like, and, and I mean, it's like you, you screwed up, man. You can't drink water now. You're like, this isn't going to go well for you. And the same is true. Like if, 
And, and I don't want to shame anyone that's in that place that they're feeling urgency around this. I would just say to those of you that are operating from a posture of strength right now, and you're saying, oh man, like I, I'm getting paid a lot of money. I've got great security. I've got a killer job, but you also know that it's not what you're called to. Don't you don't wait, do not wait. Right. Uh, because now you've, you've got that security, you've got that stability to be able to answer the big questions of what you feel called to do. And then to start taking small, small micro steps towards that thing. Yeah. That's awesome. What does it look like for you every day? Because we know that self-leadership drives leadership. And so what does, what does self-leadership mean to you? You've kind of just described that already, but in terms of like your actions, like what, what are some things that you do? Like, what do you, what's, how, what does your morning look like? How do you set yourself up for success? What does that look like for you, Alex? Yeah. Uh, I mean, years ago, I think it was the book, the power of habit that really hit home for me, the value of a morning routine and the fact that those people that have a morning routine, it's not, it's not necessarily the result of discipline, right? And I, Adam, I would imagine you get this compliment a lot. This is something that I think of you. We say, Adam, like you've just got all this discipline. You're such a disciplined individual. And uh, in reality, my assumption, and and I, I would assume this is correct, just because of how chill you are on this call. And every time I've been around you, you just seem like you're super laid back. I don't feel like you're gritting your teeth every day, just trying to will your way through the day because you have, have such discipline. Like it, it's habit, right? And and it's not like I don't have to sit and convince myself to work out today, right? I don't have to sit and convince myself to to drink protein in the morning anymore, or eat a vegetable. You know, I eat a plate of spinach every single day, right? I don't have to sit there and. Be be like, oh, this is a this is a struggle of my will. No, it's because I created habits. So that was the first thing that I learned is is it stop over over giving disproportionate value to discipline. It takes discipline in the beginning, but the goal is to make them into habits, right? But then in terms of my morning routine, uh, the habits that I have established, and we can dive more into to how you establish habits if we would like to, is. The first thing is my phone is in the living room. It's not in my room. And so I've got a like an alarm clock from like 1991 or something, right? That sits by my bed and I set my alarm clock at night. I typically get up between five and 5.30 and I wake up to the classical music station on the radio, which is killer because you wake up to something different every day. It's awesome. I love it. And those voices, they're like, now joining us from <laughs> Austria, we have box nights. It's like, it's just excellent. Um, and so- the first thing I do is I say, I have a manifesto that I say to myself that grounds me in why I exist and what I stand for and what I believe. And then from there I get out of bed and I immediately do 15 burpees. Uh, and then I make my bed. Uh, if you haven't watched Admiral McRaven's talk on make your bed, you have to watch that talk. It's unbelievable. That was my commencement at the university of Texas. What starts here, changes the world, hook them horns. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, I start coffee and that's part of habit is having a reward for doing the things that you said you were going to do. So coffee is always the reward in almost every arena of my life. Uh, and then I do, uh, I do scripture and journaling and then I have a bowl of oatmeal and that's the reward for scripture and journaling. Right. And then I have 10 minutes of silence where I literally say, Hey Siri, set a timer for 10 minutes and I just breathe. And sometimes I walk through the fruit of the spirit. Uh, and then, um, I either focus on reading for the day or creating for the day. And then we're off into the races. Uh, so, so that's the morning routine. I love that. What would you say the most important morning routine 
like something that you do, like what is the most important morning routine that you've added or maybe early on that you did? And if somebody was saying, Hey, I've been kind of on and off six weeks, I do it well, then I, I don't, and I just don't have the discipline or whatever it is. What is a, a good morning routine that you, or what's the one that you started with that kind of put you on the journey to developing really great habits? Mm. I think the concept in the power of habit that stood out the most to me was the idea of keystone habits. And uh, the idea of keystone habits is that like you can do one really small thing and that one small thing, if you do it every day, it can have ramifications into every other habit and discipline and routine in your life. And, you know, this explains why people that make their bed for whatever reason have an incredibly higher correlation for sticking to a budget. It's like, what on earth? How does that work like that? And it's not causation, right? It's not like because they made their bed. It's just because they, they start the day with a task completed. And once you start right, you have a, I mean, I have a mentor that always tells me, Alex, you never have to recover from a strong start. Right. And so the way I take that, I read that book, the power of habit at the same time that I was going through the book of Matthew and in Matthew six thirty three, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Now, I think that's a deeply spiritual truth about the fact that we need to orient our life around the things that actually matter. And I know that's at the core of the message of this podcast. Um, but I also think it's a remarkably practical truth. That's the, that's what's so cool about the Bible is it's like they have these huge existential things that are also like, if you just read the sentence, it's like, that's a pretty clear direction too. And it's literally like seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Like the first thing you do, orient your mind towards God, orient your mind. And, it, and depending on what you believe, if you don't believe what I believe, that's totally fine. Orient your mind towards the thing that is bigger than yourself. Yes. Yeah. And the thing that is worthwhile. Right. And so every day, whenever my eyes open, the first line of my manifesto is today is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And I will tell you, like when you seek first the kingdom of God, when you set your sights above the horizon of what's happening today and onto the thing that makes it all worth it all these things will be added to you. It's crazy how stuff starts to fall into place. So that's what I would say is start with a habit that forces you to lift your eyes above the horizon. Awesome. One of my favorite sayings from the Bible is um, when, when Jesus said, you must die to be reborn. What does that mean mm -hmm. to you? I use that a lot and I have a kind of my own, you know, definition of that, but what does that, what does that line mean to you? Surrender. Um, that that's the thing that uh, makes the message of Jesus so unique. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes the Bible so unique. I think is uh, the Bible is not a book about me. Yeah. And the minute I start reading it the same way I read the self-improvement books that are on my shelf is the day that I've started to make the Bible about me. But if you read the Bible from a posture of this is calling me to surrender and this is calling me to come to the end of myself because it's when I come to the end of myself and when I recognize that I'm imperfect and I have faults uh, and I'm a mess. And in, in the midst of all of that, I am deeply and truly accepted, known and loved. Um, that's the message of Jesus Christ. 
And that's where you really start to experience the power of having a faith in something bigger than yourself is when you come to the end of yourself, when you truly wave your white flag and say, I cannot do this on my own. Willpower is not enough. Routine is not enough. Habit is not enough. All of those things are good things that I should do, but I should do them out of a posture of saying, I can't do this by myself. Use the word surrender, which I love, and we use quite often in our in my personal life and in our world as well too. And um, I think people correlate or have a kind of orientation from the word surrender, and they think of like passivity or they think of some sort of laziness. Um, so unpack the word surrender to us. Um, it means that it means that I'm not the owner; I'm the steward or the manager. I think. And now, uh, I mean, like I get to own a business now, you get to own a business now. The managers that I want in my business, and I would assume the managers that you want in your business are not just waiting every single day for Adam to call them and tell them what to do, right? Uh, it's, it's that they're probably taking ownership and they're stewarding and they're managing the things that you have entrusted to them. The same is true in, in the spiritual arena, right? There are, there are things that have been entrusted to me. My, my apartment here, this has been entrusted to me. My business, this has been entrusted to me, right? Uh, the people that I'm responsible for, my family, this has been entrusted to me, right? And, and the, the object is not for me to passively let what happens happens that the object is to say okay i am surrendering to the mission that these things are entrusted to me but they are not about me right and my end game is not to become their hero my end game is that we reach a result where i am glorifying god because they are glorifying god as well right where they are i mean they're doing exactly what we're talking about on this podcast where together everything that's entrusted to me doesn't point towards me it points towards the reason why this all matters and and so that's what i think surrender is but i think surrender demands action right i mean the day that you surrender is the day that things get way 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 more intense because suddenly the thing you're surrendering to is a standard that is way 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 higher than anything you could conjure up for yourself because i mean you're saying like okay now that calling that's revealed to me i surrender to it and i'm gonna get after it and the minute I'm on the hook, like right now, my vision for my life, I've got, because my vision was communicate, teach, write, lead, and work with people and make a living doing it. And now I'm like, holy cow, I'm there. Now my vision for my life is that I want to be a spiritual stalwart. I want to be a strong husband and dad. I want to be a centered business owner, and I want to be a professional communicator and leader. That's my vision for my life right now. Well, guess what? I just told y'all that. Well, shoot, <laughs> dang damn it. Now I'm responsible for it. Right. And, and so I've surrendered to that vision. That is the thing that I am pursuing. And those things won't happen. If I just sit back, I, I, I have a friend that says, Alex, eventually you got to put some feet to your prayers. And I think that perfectly describes the relationship between activity and surrender. Yeah. Have you ever, are you familiar with the Bhagavad Gita at all? Have you heard of that before? The Gita? I, I have, I, I have heard of it. Are you familiar with Jordan Peterson? Do you know that name? I do. Um, I'm not, I think I've read a couple things that they have, but I'm not 100% familiar with it now. 
so I've, I'm a huge Jordan Peterson fan. He references uh, that text a lot. And then so does Stephen Pressfield, who yeah. I'm a big Stephen Pressfield fan as well. But but tell me about it, Adam. Yeah, well, there's, it just made me think of this. I've read the Gita several different times. And, and one of the things that I love about it, it talks about how in business or in action, it talks about, you you know, you kind of surrender, then, then fight. And one of the things he says is that you get in business, you get, because people are like in they go, well, how do I surrender in business? I have to make all these decisions every single day. And I've been doing all this stuff. Like I have to let people go. I have to hire people. I have to make money decisions. I have to impact people's lives. Like, and those are all, then yes, they're all decisions you have to make. Right. And one of the things that in the, there's a couple lines in there that kind of really help illustrate this, where they essentially say, you know, you get laser focused on your result and your vision of where you're going to you hold the line. And then you let go of receiving any personal satisfaction from that. Um, and, and that really helped me a lot in my business journey of saying, you can get laser focused and you can have a clear vision of where you're going and you're going to have to make some tough decisions along the way. But as long as you're not doing it to personally gain, you will get stuff from that automatically. But if you're not setting the intention from the beginning of personally getting something through somebody and you let go of that part, that's when the two can kind of mirror together when you get laser focused on the result, but you let go right of the personal satisfaction or the, the really the personal gain really like the material gain that's going to come from being laser focused and when you're able to do that you actually gain a level of clarity and perspective that many business owners don't have or will ever have and so therefore you actually become a fierce competitor in the business world yeah isn't that crazy because that's the person that you're that uh, is really dangerous in the boardroom yes right is the person that isn't that isn't chained to a specific outcome Right. And oh, gosh, I mean like that, but that's also operating from a position of strength. And, uh, and like, that's something that I, I really admire. I well, love that point. That's very cool. And yes, centeredness yes. too. And that's how you use that in a word is like a very centered business person to me that, that is, that orients me in a way of saying that I'm willing to go do the tough things, but I'm going to let go of any personal material gain. And when it comes, it comes right from there. Um, yeah. And, you know, so, kind of switching gears a little bit, you've done 22, um, I think 21 marathons and two triathlon, two triathlons. Um, walk us, talk to us a little bit about your kind of endurance because I, I love endurance sports too. And, and how that has had a play into your, into creating habits in your life. By the way, before you jump into that, do you know, um, the quote from Elud, I'm going to butcher his last name. Do you remember? It's like Cupid. Uh, Geek. Oh yeah. That guy's a baller. I don't know the quote though. What's the quote? So he says only the disciplined ones in life are free. Everybody else is a slave to your moods and your passions. And I love that. (laughs) I I just love that quote because it makes so much, if you're just, if you're wanting, if you're just going to listen to your moods and your passions and like, when are you ever really going to exercise? Right. When instead of relying on really strong habits, being using discipline to create the habits, you then rely on those things to guide your life, which is really what the essence of what you're talking about. And instead of just like, Hey, I feel good because maybe like three Sundays afternoon, then it's 65 and you've got hours. You're like, I'll go for a run. Right. Instead of being like, I got, you know, it's three in the morning, it's raining and it's 40 degrees out and you have a 10 mile run and you just find a way to push through. I was actually listening to, um, uh, Ben, Ho- uh, um, Ben Hoff, is that his name? Ben? Wim. Wim Hoff. Yeah. I don't say Ben Wim Hoff's book this morning. <laughs> and he talked about how he was, when he was a, a boy, he had a paper wrote and he said, one of the things that that really taught him was regardless of the weather conditions, he had a mission to complete. And I loved that line from there. He's like, so it taught me a lot of the ability to be able to push through things. Cause I had no other choice. And so I think putting yourself in that environment. So he said, if you're, if you're in your teens, you should go out and have a paper route. That's hilly. Cause it makes you force you to do that. Uh, so talk <laughs> to us a little bit about the, the 
how you got into, you know, ultra endurance athlete. Oh man. I, I love that. Uh, I love that quote. Cause if I listened to my moods and my passions, yes. I would literally be eating ice cream all I know, the time. We all that's would. All, I, that's all I would be doing, yeah. uh, but okay. But related to that though. So that um, Elliot is the guy that ran the sub two hour marathon, yes. Yes. which that is just so stupid. Like that is just, I mean, uh, not human, unreal. Uh, but you want you want to see freedom? Go watch the video of that guy crossing the finish line after yeah. he runs the sub two hour marathon, and that is I mean that is the world class example of discipline creates freedom. He worked his tail off for years, and then he got to cross a finish line that he deemed worthwhile. And that smile, I mean, like it's what we talked about at the very beginning, right? People love watching, doing what they love. I get chills talking about it it's just absolutely insane and if that doesn't inspire you then you need to check your pulse or go to the doctor <laughs> or something um but i mean that uh, it's it's what you just said about whim too and i'm sure you've learned this as well i think you're probably a more accomplished endurance athlete than i am i do it because of the lessons that i'm going to learn mm -hmm. and it's the lessons that really have nothing to do with racing right mm -hmm. the, the the physical benefits are just that they're side benefits for me it's just like i like the person that i become whenever I'm stretching myself beyond what I, I thought was possible, right? Like I can remember the day, and this is what I want everyone to hear. I can remember the day when I didn't know if I could do a half marathon. And then I did a half marathon. And I can remember finishing that and thinking to myself, well, there's no way I could ever do a full. And then one day I did a full. And then I can remember the day where I finished a full and I thought to myself, I, I cannot imagine. It is just ludicrous to think that someone could swim 2.4 miles and do a 112 mile bike ride before that. And, and now I've done that as well. And I don't say that to boast about me. It has, it has nothing to do with me. Really the point I'm trying to make is that it is possible. Mm -hmm. And, and whether you want to or not is the question but, but make no mistake. It is possible yeah. when people say I'm not a runner. Shut up. No, that is not true. Right. That you, you choose not to run, which I'm totally cool with that. Right. I'm totally cool with you saying I choose not to run. That's golden. And I'm passionate about this and you just looked at Hallie. So I hope I didn't just offend Hallie horrendously. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I just, I think like whenever I say, uh, like I I'm working on a course right now for intentional communicators. The minute I say I'm not an intentional communicator, I'm absolutely right. It, yes, you're correct. You're not. The day that I say I can be an intentional communicator, I'm absolutely right. And the same is true for running. The same is true for triathlon. The same is true for mountain climbing. That's what endurance sports has taught me is that it is possible. The question is not, is not, is it possible? The question is, do you want to do it? Are you willing to give up what it takes to be able to cross that finish line? And man, the parallels to that are endless. Yeah. Three days before I did my first full, I had an email from my coach, actually a secondary coach that I had that has done like 40 full Ironmans. And he said to me, <laughs> which how many have you done? First of all, how many Ironmans and how many marathons? I've done 20. I did 21 Ironmans in three years. Uh, what? What on earth? Oh my God. The only time I ever ran a marathon actually was in, during in the full Ironman. I, I never ran a standalone full marathon. I just never had the desire to do it. I always wanted to kind of layer it on. Um, this, I ended up doing my, 
Yeah. It was, it was we need another hour where I can just <laughs> I ask you a bunch of yeah. questions about that's insane. In yeah, was, 21 and three years. Yeah. It was, it, was, it was pretty intense, like three and a half years, called three and a half years. Um, but yeah, it was, and I oh, never, well, that makes a lot more sense. That's easy. <laughs> if, if you had said that, I'd totally, it, you know, the thing what too, is I did, I did at a whim when I first started, um, I had never swam. I mean, I could swim and stay afloat. I had never ri- ridden a road bike. I'd always been a mountain biker and I never have ran a 5k before. I mean, I ran more than three miles, but like I'd never done it in a race. And so it was just, it was really cool experience to learn how to do it. But three, three days before my first full, my coach sent me an email. He goes, you know, Adam, Lake Placid, which is a pretty hilly course. And he said, it has a, about a 25% DNF, do not finish rate. And he said, the majority of what I see for people who do not finish is they go into a race thinking that the entire time is going to be good. And he goes, the advice <laughs> that I'm going to give to you is that there's going to be some good times. There's going to be some bad times. It's your ability to get through this race at the race level that you want to get through this is going to be your ability to take full advantage of the good times and manage the bad times. And then how you manage the bad times is, you know, a whole bunch of different techniques, a lot of room from there. But he said, when you, when you actually factor that in there, the people that don't finish go into it thinking like, I'm just going to have a great day. It's going to be awesome. And there's some, there's some lightness to saying that, but when you go to do a full Ironman, if you think that you're just going to be in a good mood the entire time, like, I mean, most people on a Sunday afternoon in their house don't have a good full 16 hours or whatever it is that takes you to be able to do this thing. And so that was good because there was a lot of times where it was deep and dark, especially around mile 18. And you're just like, as you know, every step feels like somebody's taking a knife and stabbing it into your leg. And like, you just got to keep pushing through, but it's the parallels that go with it. Oh man. Like that is one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. I wish I had a line graph of my marathon times that I could show you because you could see where I had that realization. And, and the quote that I always think of that applies to this is unspoken expectations or front loaded resentment. Right. And I would sit there at the, at the starting line, all pumped already, all jacked. This is going to be awesome. I'm going to be a marathon finisher. I'm going to cross the finish line. This is going to be amazing. And, and I'm not speaking these expectations, but what I'm really saying to myself is this is going to be easy. This is going to be a cakewalk. This is going to be fun all three hours of it. And the day, the, the race, I'll never forget it. I think it was my fourth or fifth marathon. The, the, I made a decision that I just said, I'm going to expect that this is going to be really bad. And in about two and a half hours, I'm going to be miserable and it's going to hurt like crazy. And I'm going to want to stop. I'm not going to, but I'm going to want to. And, uh, and that's okay because that's what I signed up for. And then the race goes, you know, you hit the halfway point. It's awesome. You hit 15 miles. It's awesome. You hit 20 miles. And sure enough, you're freaking miserable. And instead of being like, where did this come from? You're like, oh, this is exactly what I expected. This is exactly what I planned for. And not only that, this is why I signed up. Like literally, if I didn't want this, I would have signed up for a 5K. The reason why I'm doing this right now is for this exact moment. And so just embrace that suck. (laughs) It's so true. And and you you talk about selfless, sustainable and true growth and kind of what that looks like. And, and, you know, I, I think about the sports that you can do that you can, regardless if you're doing a full Ironman or you're, you're going out for a walk and you're pushing yourself to be hard, that in itself will just leak upon leak upon leak. And then you'll be able to apply that to all aspects of your life, which that's how you start to really develop that self-leadership. Um, and, I, and if you could just in a minute or two, just talk about that selfish part of it, because I think when people see people being self-indexed, if you will, they see like, well, you're just taking time for them or I don't have time for myself. Um, 
to really put myself first and therefore I need to put everybody else first. So what is that first, that, and that selflessness? I need to talk a lot about that. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I think there's a difference between self-improvement and selfish improvement. I think a lot, a lot of the world out there, and if you go, just go scroll on Instagram for a little while, it's self-improvement and, or it's selfish improvement. And that it's me getting better for the sake of me getting better. And then making sure all of you know about it. Right. And, and I, that is total crap. Like I just hate that so much, but I love self-improvement because self-improvement is me maxing out the person that I was created to be me absolutely doubling down on the person that I was created to be for the stated purpose of others benefiting. Right. And so like, I mean, our mission at path for growth is we help impact driven leaders step into who they are created to be so that, and so that is the world's most powerful phrase, right? So that others may benefit and God may be glorified, right? It's the, so that that makes your growth the most unselfish thing in the world, because I'm not taking care of myself just to take care of myself and then publicize it. I'm taking care of myself so that I can serve you effectively and glorify the God of the universe. And man, that perspective, shift is what changed everything about growth for me. And it's when it actually made it sustainable. I love that. Well, I'm sure everyone listening to this is going to want to find out more about you and where they can get more information about your path for growth. Share with us where people can find you. We'll also put it in the show notes as well, too. Yeah. Uh, pathforgrowth.com is the website. Uh, and then we're also on all social media handles. And then my social media handle is at Judd on the run. And then we also have a podcast that Adam, we've got to get you on sometime. I would love to have a conversation where I get to, cause I have like 10 X more questions than I had at the beginning. Um, so, so we'll have to do that at some Absolutely. point, but okay. yeah, the, the podcast is path for growth as well. Awesome. Awesome. We'll go check Alex out there. I know he was awesome. Alex, you're an amazing human being. Thank you so much for being on with us today. And I know you made a huge impact to our audience. So thanks. You've reached the end of another episode of Business Meets Spirituality. If you like what you heard and feel inspired to do so, please leave a review. It's awesome hearing from listeners like you. And remember, never give up on joy.